Oh, boy. You're putting me on the spot now. Come on. See, now people are discovering something about me. I'm really shy. I'm embarrassed. Okay, you're shy. Just get up and show me. <laughs> um, okay. Welcome to another episode of the Black Jackson Estate. I'm user 2, Ashley, joined today by user 1 and user 1.5. Users, how are you feeling today? Yeah, you know, it's a good day. Uh, it's been raining here all day, so you know, it's a good day to sit down and watch a little in the heat of the night on the Tizub, Chief Gillespie. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're excited to bring you another episode, and this one will be a blast from the past in the year 2003. And we're excited to talk to you about um, everything Michael had going on. For those of us who were around, we got a lot of Michael that year. Three TV interviews, two award show appearances, and a personal look into his private home movie. So today we're going to discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of the notorious year, 2003. For the king of pop. This is the part of the podcast where we thank today's sponsor, Keonti Kite. You are now user 14. Thank you for being today's sponsor. We appreciate you so much. Y'all, the Black Jackson Estate is a people-powered podcast. That means your donations help keep us online. So please donate, support our podcast, and get a shout-out on the next episode, www.paypal.me forward slash Estate, or hit us on Cash App. That's B-O-K Jack Estate. Shout-out to all the users again. Keontae, your user 14. Shout-out to Bria, Alexander, Alicia, Peter, Lucia, Destiny, the other Alicia, Michaela, Elise, Pamela. Y'all are all users. We love you so much. You can go over to the Patreon app and subscribe to our podcast there where you'll not only get regular episodes, but you'll get those episodes before everyone else. And you'll get additional content uh, once to two times a month. So if you hop on over to Patreon, you can be a subscriber and get the hot, fresh stuff as it comes. So we're excited for all the content that we're putting on both platforms. And we're looking forward to seeing you show up in the Patreon app soon. So we're talking about our Patreon content, which is really great. And... um. What I want to say is if you're not already subscribed for Patreon, you're likely not because we have not <laughs> got just a couple of subscribers right now. But obviously, we want more folks to join us on Patreon. We're talking about things that we don't talk about on our regular episodes, um, things that are a little more risque, a little more uh, controversial. Um, and generally, it's because I'm not going to fight you on free content, but we can go back and forth if you're going to actually support in the Patreon, you know? And so we have already, I believe, uh, three or four pieces of content that are exclusive to Patreon where we talk about different things, talk about some news things that are happening in the moment versus leaving them to be discussed here. Um, and then we follow up here with maybe some additional news as it comes forward. How do you guys feel about the Patreon so far? Do you like what do you think is the best thing so far about us doing the Patreon content as far as your expression of certain ideas about Michael Jackson? We get to be unfiltered during the news segment, which is the hot topics that you all care about the most. Um, so I love not mincing my words over there and 
telling y'all how we really feel about Janet's wig. She has another bad wig. I don't want to do another Patreon on that wig, but I can. Because I can talk about that over there. She had bad wigs. Michael had bad wigs. It's just, it's just what it is. You and know? in this it's life, we bad. all have a bad wig every yeah, now and then. Right, right. And it's so okay. I'm just gonna get, I'm gonna chop it to the game. You know, yeah. she enjoyed yeah, her wig. She, she loves it. And so, just for perspective, you know, we talked about Janet's first bad wig, which is on the Edison's cover, and that was what two weeks ago. And now we got a new bad wig here in July of 2022. So you know, maybe we'll talk about it on Patreon. Come find out. Yeah, what no, about I mean, you, I, user? What about I, you, user 1.5? I definitely enjoy just being able to talk uh, freely about, you know, whatever we're talking about um, at, the, at the time. And and to stay really current on the news, because a lot of times, by the time this, the podcast is released, which we do this one once a month, um, a lot of the stuff is old, right? It was new maybe when we were talking about it, but, you know, people, the, the magic of radio, right? Like, the the editing process takes a couple of weeks and so by the time it is actually released it's old so it's really nice just to do stuff you know currently and you know as the resident usual uh podcast note person i'm really excited about some of the 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 pettiness we're going to be able to unleash with these Mm -hmm. episodes on patreon because i've been doing my research and i can't wait diana michael just good friends y'all wait for it it's going to be good. It's going to be lit. And just to kind of mm-hmm. give you an example, if you're thinking to yourself, wow, I couldn't wait for this episode because I wanted to hear what they thought about the Casio tracks being removed. So we've already talked about that in the Patreon. So go over to the Patreon, subscribe, and we have already covered that piece of uh wow news in the Michael world. And we have talked about how we feel about it. And um, again, uh, so we won't repeat a lot of that stuff here because we've already kind of discussed. So we want you guys to join us over there, get a part of that conversation, become a part of the Black Jackson Estate podcast. You guys are the reason we do this. So we love that interaction. We know that we get a lot of interaction on Instagram and on our Twitter page. And we appreciate that. I love going on Twitter and reading the different things. I love the cross, the cross cultural and cross like, interest fans like if you hit me up and you're talking about i don't know luther vandross or whitney houston or on twitter like i love having those conversations most recently we've been talking about the wwe we we watch wrestling so i love the cross cultural and art form fans so come hang out with us on our on our patreon we would love to see you there and become um a patreon user and yeah come hang out it's going to continue to get better we're going to continue to release more content more exclusives that will only happen on patreon you know what user user one that just hit me you said cross-cultural wwe i just had a thought is vince mcmahon the joe jackson of wrestling no because (laughs) no because joe jackson This ain't Patreon. Joe Jackson (laughs) (laughs) beat his children into success. Vince McMahon kills the people who work for him. Period. That's what That's what you get. No, he's definitely not. No, Vince McMahon is uh, a a crazy, like a mad scientist. I mean, he's uh, a 
crazy and a genius and uh, a whole lot in trouble with his board, but that's another conversation. But anyway, continue on. I'm sorry. Right now. Stop this podcast and go subscribe to the Black Jackson Estate Patreon. You want to get on the ground floor. You want to be able to say, you know what? I was down from day one. I was down from day one with the support. So shout out to all the folks who are supporting us. Shout out to all the black women. Again, every time we do this podcast, if I have to say it every time, because black women are never appreciated enough, I will say it. Shout out to all the black women who help power the black Jackson state podcast. Sis, little sis, auntie, whoever. (laughs) We love you. God, man, we love you. We love you so much. Thank you to all of our supporters, but I am always going to give a special shout out to black women who have really shown up for us in our podcast. So I'm going to let you two take it away because we got some more to talk about and then we'll get into our main discussion today. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Search it in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store and type in Black Jackson and stay in that. You'll find us. And if you want to check us out on social media, user one runs the tweets. Find us at twitter.com forward slash blk jack estate user 1.5 runs our instagram that is instagram.com forward slash black jack estate user 1.5 has her own personal twitter and you can find her at twitter.com forward slash rena Latoya. and i the great user two whose main profile has risen like a phoenix from the abyss regardless of the commentary that is left on Janet Jackson's profile. Here I stand another day. You can follow me at twitter.com forward slash Ashley K Blue. That's Ashley with an I know cap. Do you love us? Do you hate us? Do you have questions? Want to send some fan fiction? I got to get back on the fan fiction. We got it. We still got a library of fan fiction waiting on uh, exposure to the sun. Don't worry about it. Send us memes and everything in between. Email us at the black jackson estate at gmail.com we read our emails faithfully and we definitely want to hear from you um i don't know if we have any feedback from the fans this episode user one user 1.5 anything come across your desk that you'd like to share with the people uh i would just like to give kudos to you user two and to user one for the interview that you guys did with steve knopper um in the last episode, I wasn't able to make that episode and I'm really sad that I missed it, but I listened back to it and I am just, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And you guys asked really good questions, had a really good conversation. And I just want to give all the love and props to you guys for holding it down um, for the black Jackson estate talking to Steve. So do you, you know, did you, do you have anything you want to say about it? Like, how do you feel about it? Listening back to it and kind of reliving that. Yeah, it um, it turned out very well, um, and I was really pleased to hear about it. Um, I'm sorry to hear the whole episode after our recording it. We kind of did it and put it in the can and kind of walked away from it after doing a really deep dive on um, Steve's book, The Genius of Michael Jackson, which we'll make sure to link in the show notes. Um, and, you know, we kind of lived in... Uh, the genius of Michael Jackson for however long it took us to pull that content together. And then we finally got Steve on the calendar, which was really great. And 
I think those uh, questions were actually very well prepared as well. So um, shout out to user one. I'll take a little bit of credit too. I think we had a, a pretty good time. We did miss you 1.5. I think you might have been I know. I think you might have been sick. No, I wasn't sick. I'm usually sick. I know I wasn't sick this time. I think I had to work. I think you guys recorded it in December of last year. Mm. And December is like everybody named mama trying to look cute for the family that they don't even want to go see. Right now. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and I think that by the time I got home, uh, you guys were already like an hour deep into the interview and I didn't want to mess up your flow and your mojo. So I just sat that one out, but I'm sad I didn't make it, but I'll be on the next one. You will be on the next one. And listen, we can't be everywhere all the time. So um, shout out to Steve for, rolling with us and hopefully we can have him back soon but in the meantime make sure y'all go grab his book it is really good uh we only want to recommend books that we think are worth the read it's up to you to decide whether you love it or not but the genius of michael jackson is a very well composed uh story about michael jackson's life and if you don't have the patience to read through the physical copy go get the audiobook it's pretty easy to find and uh user one did you have some commentary to share yeah, absolutely. So we had a lot of great feedback from our interview with Steve. So thanks again to Steve. I'm sure that's been said already, but thank you again, Steve Knopper for hanging out with us. And so here's a little backdrop to that. I want you guys to know we have been trying to get folks to come on the show. Most pronounced Stephanie Mills. We've been you know, nagging. It still um, hasn't opened Stephanie my Mills. Instagram But it message. could happen, you know, 2022 could be our year, maybe 2023. But the reality is we've been trying to get interviews with folks that we know you haven't heard from that really are integral to the Michael story. Um, and so Steve Knopper was not the first that we've contacted, but he was the first to, and I didn't know if he would, immediately respond with a yes I would love to come on your show and so I want to say thank you to Steve Knopper for saying yes to a little podcast that he probably had never heard of a day in his life saying hey can you come on and do you want to talk about this book we really enjoyed your book and he said yes when do you need me how can I help you and to this day that has been his stance when it comes to our podcast and talking about Michael Jackson, his answer is yes. And it is, how can I help you? And when do you need me? So shout, big, 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 big shout out to my favorite white guy, Steve Knopper, because he could have easily said, who's that? <laughs> you know, like, I'm not going to do that. He did big press for his book and then he decided to come on our pod. So guys, go check out his book if you haven't already. And jumping into some of the commentary uh, that we have on um, our conversation with Steve Knopper, there was a lot. And so thank you guys so much for letting us know how much you really enjoyed what we were doing. Um, we have Ash Brown from the Ash Said It Show, which I'm, I bet a lot of you guys know about. She said, love the episode, totally subscribed, have a wonderful week. Thank you so much, Ashley, for checking out the pod. Also, we have here, uh, Steve was hanging out in, in the Twitter mentions too, thanking you guys for listening to the pod. Uh, Alexandre, I just like saying his name at this point. Um, so he also said really good questions. The interview with Steve Knobs on his 2015 book, The Genius of Michael Jackson, is fantastic. Insightful questions fascinating analysis thought-provoking discussions and fun anecdotes well done i didn't want it to end 
loved it. That's our homie. Thank you so much. Um, so at her underscore royalty, her royalty, it's a good episode. The parts about Catherine and Joe's parenting were the most interesting, especially getting into Catherine's role in things a little bit. If you don't know what she's talking about, you need to go listen to that episode with Steve Knopper, um, the genius of Michael Jackson. Shout out to at music 1972. She just left us some love saying, I absolutely love the Black Jackson estate. Love you too. Appreciate you. Big time. If you want to purchase Steve's book, you can go to his website, nops.com. That's K-N-O-P-P-S.com. Look on the left-hand side and select books where you will find the genius of Michael Jackson. From the MJ cast, from E, from the MJ cast. We love E. We love the MJ cast, period. We love E. Loving your move into doing interviews. Great work on this one. MJ fam, be sure to check out the interview with Steve Knopper. So thank you so much. There's so much, so many comments. If we didn't read your comment, keep commenting. We'll get to it at some point. Thank you so much for everybody listening to the episode, commenting on Twitter or Instagram, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Keep leaving us that that feedback, positive, constructive, whatever. We we inhale it all unless you want the smoke. If you want the smoke, you can order it. But I don't I don't recommend it. But shout out. Thank you guys so much for listening in to our latest episode. If you haven't already, make sure you check out our interview with Steve Knopper on his book, MJ the Genius of Michael Jackson. Feedback, feedback. Oh, light skin, dark skin, my age and persuasion. I got them all. That's why these bitches is hating because I'm sexy. All right. Let's transition into our next segment. A little light news for the children of the world. Since the last podcast, 13 years have passed since Mike Jackson took that walk off into the upper the room. upper room when Jesus comes not. and uh, I think I for one am shocked I am still standing you cannot have told me in 2009 that hey listen in that first hour the first two hours they was like, nah, he ain't really gone after Jermaine came out with that collar pop. Then the two hours after that were pretty brutal. I would like to go back and tell that young lady, hey, you're going to be okay, pal. This isn't great. You're going to be okay. Um, how you guys doing? 13 years since Michael passed. How you feeling? You know, it's, it's I think everybody, uh, those of us that are millennials, um, you know, our age group, we've had a lot of traumas in our childhood growing up. Uh, Michael Jackson passing was one of them. But I will say it 13 years, my, man, it's gone by really fast. And a lot has happened since then. But, um, you know, this is one of those those times I know it's really hard for the fans. Um, but, you know, we made it, y'all. Somehow we made it. Never would have made it. Without the Lord, hallelujah. So glad I made it. We're recording this on July 10th. Michael's funeral was, Michael died June 25th. His funeral was not until July 7th. Yeah. Yeah, they held that man out like like the old folks. So they held the body out about two weeks. 
Michael was on ice for yeah. about two and a half weeks. Yeah. And it was hot. Mm. Mm. Shout out to Forest Lawn. User one, 13 years. Yeah, that was a bit, that was very difficult. That was a difficult day. It was a difficult time. And I think that it will always be, if I ever stop and really think about it, it that, that that's a pain. Because when you're a fan of someone, this is this is unfortunately a small class. Well, not really small because artists seem to gravitate towards destructive ends. But people my, die every day, B. People die every day, but not like this. Uh, Michael was 50 years old, which is young by anyone's standards. And he was preparing for a comeback. So you add all these things around these attenuating facts, you know, around his death. It just was mind blowing him, obviously being the biggest star on the planet. You know, they thought it was a terrorist attack. That's how the internet crashed. I mean, people could not believe. I remember going to, I had to turn my phone off. Every, like my phone got so, everyone was blowing me up and I could not, I just could not. And I remember going to the record store and I didn't buy anything. I just went and people were just buying up the whole shop, everything that had Michael's name on it. And people were just blasting the music in the streets. And it was just an interesting sort of experience. And then to look back 10 years later to have seen people try to cancel him and ban him from radio stations and all this other crazy stuff. And the resilience of this artist, this human you know, an artist, but a human, um, who's no longer here is kind of amazing to see, but 10 years, well, it's been, uh, 13 years now. Is it 13? Yeah. 13 years since he's passed away. And, um, I think most heavily you still feel for his family, his children, his mother, his brothers and sisters, who of course know a pain that none of us can really, uh, relate to in that way, but amazing, legacy amazing um continuing of the the dance dance in the dream still dance in the dream and the michael jackson fan community certainly will not allow him to be forgotten and i think that's still beautiful people still taking flowers out the forest lawn in large number every year and showing up yeah and showing up and you know doing all these things which i think is really cool so, cause up the road is eternal. Game. I'm definitely laying the Clark sisters over that. Cause Michael had a home going. I don't know if you white people ever been to a home going. It's not a funeral. It's more like a second line that you would see in New Orleans or, or in Louisiana proper, a little Mississippi as well. Um, but yeah, he had a he had a good colored home going. It was long. But it was, it was long as hell. Home going nonetheless. It was so long that it started getting good. And then you were like, wait a minute, this is a funeral. That is a mm-hmm. golden casket. Yeah. Before us. What a yeah. time, what a time. When they rolled him out to that spotlight singing soon and very soon, I that that's oh Andre Crouch took us out that day. He did. We're going to see the king. Hallelujah. Couldn't have had it any other way. Michael would have loved it. The drama. And then brothers wheeling that good. <sighs> Let me take a moment. 
Moving on, Janet Jackson performed at Essence Fest, the big comeback post panoramic. We outside. Auntie Con and Zaddy Fest, because it was a lot of Zaddies <laughs> out there too. Uh, we didn't get a chance to go, but we seen plenty of y'all that did. And it looked like Janet had a pretty good performance. Now, the you can go and watch all of the performances from Essence Fest on Amazon Prime or Hulu. I think it's Hulu, actually. Um, I heard the sound is actually pretty bad, which is why I have avoided it. But the clips that Janet posted on her page were nice and crispy. I loved her glitter outfit. She looked like a damn disco ball. I fucking loved it. And, um, yeah, good to see Demita out. She's fully clothed again. It's fine. We're not getting no neck, no ankle. And you know what? That's okay. I look at disco ball, Janet. I'm cool with that. Um, what did y'all think about the performance? Janet says she is somebody's mother now. She's not going to be out here showing y'all all this in this carnal sin, showing y'all all this skin. She, um, I thought the performance was good. Uh, the piece that I saw on her, and we, we go more into depth in the Patreon about Auntie Con, Auntie Fest, whatever y'all call it. And y'all so disrespectful. Anyway, um, but the piece that she posted on her Instagram page um, was her performing feedback. And y'all know I love me some feedback. Um, and I just thought it was great. So kudos to Jan. Good for you, honey. Go out there, perform your once a year, and go to hell home. Good for you. Jan just know Oyana. So good for her. She did, she did. I didn't watch the performance. I'm not going to lie. But I did see she set some records for Essence Attendance and sort of things like that. So that just, again... I mean, I don't know how much evidence needs to be submitted to <laughs> validate her title as, you know, clearly a legend of pop music, a leading pop legend who is still here and doing her thing. I didn't watch the performance, um, but I saw some clips. It looked like a good show. Essence is always a good show. I've been, it is just a lot. I guess Girls Trip is really that's really it y'all i mean I, I don't know what else is if you've never been and you don't think you'll ever go or you don't it's not your vibe <laughs> but you kind of want to know what it's like go watch that movie um that's Jada that's, Pinkett, that's it queen latifah yeah regina 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 king was it regina king no it wasn't no. regina king regina hall regina hall regina bell is the singer regina hall <laughs> Regina somebody. Yeah. And that particular Regina gets this all the time. Regina Hall, Jada Pinkett, Queen Latifah, and Tiffany Haddish. Ghost Trip. Yeah. Except I think the performance in theirs might have been like, was New Edition? The New Edition so. perform in theirs and then come back and perform with Janet like after the pandemic. So. I think so. Yeah, they always headline. Obviously, it's Essence. Essence Magazine is a black women geared magazine for black women. And so, obviously, it's always a headliner. It's generally a black woman. And um, when I went, it was Mary J. Blige. And, you know, she's she's always a good show, too. I've seen her a couple of times live. She she be getting to the meat of it. You be like, ooh, that's real life, Mary. Um, so, also, Shaka Khan was there when I went. And Shaka, you know, Shaka was screaming and everything. And um, so it was a good show. I mean, and then of course they have other stages of other people performing. So it's just, it's a, a weekend full of 
just beautiful. I'll give you a, a like a, a, a story from my essence. So we were walking down like the main strip where the convention center is. And we're going, I don't know what we're walking, going to get something to eat or whatever. And we literally passed by um, any other day. I don't know her real name. Um, Pam from Martin. <laughs> What's her real Arnold. name? Tashina Arnold. She comes up to us literally like... Did y'all see where Anthony Anderson went? And we were like, yeah. <laughs> we were like, yeah, he just went into this restaurant. She was like, oh, okay, thank you. And she went in. And the funny thing is like, it was like, you know, in that pal, you know, but it's like, you know, in the moment we played it cool, you know, like, yeah, he's over here, you know. But after she was gone, we were like, that's Pam for mine. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like you're gonna run into a lot of faces that you that you grew up watching on TV, admiring, and they are just like you. You know, they just regular degulars. And it's just really a family event. Like it's a very communal, the black community really comes together this weekend to celebrate. Um, and so it's a lot of fun. So I'm glad Janet keeps showing up, you know, to this, so, these sorts of events. So I'm glad everybody got to go and enjoy her, her show. And it looks like she had a good time, which I think is the icing on the cake. She didn't just go and give y'all a show. She enjoyed herself. So. And she promptly posted a photograph of her holding her leg at what appeared to be a 90 degree angle straight into the air with a caption that said, Something like back to being a mama or whatever. She she gonna get back to her Issa, okay? And that's period point. Poo. Next up, MJ Fake Casio tracks removed. We covered this topic extensively on Patreon. Please go over there and click to hear more monster. Keep your head up. Breaking news all snatched from various streaming platforms. And I, for one, love to see it. Additional commentary users, what you got? Go listen to the Patreon. Go listen to the Patreon. Take your ass over to Patreon. Because when I tell you we got into it, we got into it. But you're not going to get it here. Hop on over to Patreon. And we'll see you soon. All right, y'all. That concludes our news segment. We're going to plow forward with our blast from the past, digging into the year 2003 and everything living with Michael Jackson related. Was Blanket born in 2003? He definitely was. Yeah. Wow. What? No, he was not. Well, he was, was a baby hanging out the he window. He was like, out the window. I believe he Blanket was, was an 01 thing. Blanket? Yeah. Like, he was oh, you're saying was he was that the year he was born? I thought she was saying was he like alive? Was he <laughs> my bad. Birth? It looks like it looks like Blanket's <laughs> birthday is February twenty-first, two thousand and two. So okay. okay. I thought months. she was saying was was he alive here breathing on this earth or was he a fetus? Okay. Never mind. Okay. Not or was he a fetus? what was it Texas where that, that lady said that her fetus was a person and she got in the carpool lane and they tried to give her a ticket she said oh hell no <laughs> <laughs> baby y'all oh, figure man. that out anyway mm-hmm. go ahead user 2 I'm sorry I was going to kick it over to you user 1.5 You take perfect it well gentle listeners we have 
a really nice episode today. I'm really excited about it uh, because I've been living with Michael Jackson now for the past week. So in May of 2002, Michael Jackson did something that he hadn't done since 1997. He agreed to sit for an in-depth interview with British journalist Martin Bashir. Over the next eight months, Bashir had unprecedented access to the personal, private, and professional world of Michael Jackson. When the interview aired around the world in February of 2003, it became abundantly clear that it would be a controversial piece of journalism. It also became obvious that Bashir's final product was designed to be the cornerstone in a campaign to humiliate Michael Jackson. In an attempt to fight back against the distortions, lies, and misrepresentations embedded in the Bashir interview, Michael Jackson embarked on an elaborate PR campaign designed to rebut and expose living with Michael Jackson for what it was, a calculated hit piece by an unscrupulous journalist. But the damage was already done, y'all. Today, we're going back to 2003 and reviewing the timeline and interviews of Michael Jackson to see where it all went wrong. So users, I want to start with this. So 2003 was Michael had a lot going on, right? And we all were alive and well in high school in 2003. And this is a time that a lot of fans don't like to really go back to live, uh, to relive because a lot of things happened. What do you guys think? Just looking at the notes and know what we're talking about. How do you guys feel about Michael Jackson in 2003? Is there anything you're excited to unpack today? It was just a wild fucking year. Like I was taking a shower the other day and just meditating about like what was going on. And I remember my friend Nina and I, when Michael got locked up, which Interesting words to have to put together. Michael Jackson got locked up at some point and everybody found out at the same time. And I remember going home that night with my friend and making iron on shirts that said free Michael. And we put his mugshot, we printed the mugshot out and ironed it on our shirts. And I wore that shit hot and spicy the next day to class because I already knew everybody was going to come for me like, oh, your boy got locked up. So I just put the free Michael shirt on to kind of nip that in the bud. That's how proactive you had to be back then. If you wanted to survive survive school and them not drag you for your fave because Michael was always doing some crazy shit. You just got to lean into it. So yeah, free Mike. He got out. I think what's crazy is like so a haha at the free michael t-shirts um high school so there were a lot of us who were fans actually at my high school in my grade in my class we were fans period like invincible came out period so it was a lot of people feeling like what is going on but of course when people know that you're the michael jackson fan of course you're gonna take a different sort of you become they need to put you on the payroll at this point i know y'all think defending michael on twitter is something that's nothing i know you think getting online and doing the defense of him is whatever try having to defend this man i mean we were doing we were doing presentations on michael using him as thesis statements everything you know and it was is a 
difficult time. I don't think that that's unfair to say, but I think that that particular year, the year of 2003 was like a whirlwind. And the reason we're doing, you might be saying, why are they picked 2003? Is it just because of Martin Bashir? No. 2003, when we stopped to think about it and we talked about it, we said it was the year that Michael Jackson gave you the most about himself. He gave you the most of himself voluntarily than any other year on record and it not have to do necessarily with a music project. He literally chose to do the footage you were never meant to see. He chose to do private home movies. He also chose to do the Martin Bashir interview. He didn't choose the pro the final outcome, but he chose to do it. So he really decided to give the public a lot of himself. He had never done that before in this way. And from that, fans got a wealth of insight into his life. And I think sometimes we get so caught up on the Bashir piece, we miss that all of that is also true. Yeah, you have the Bashir thing, but Michael Jackson gave you a lot of Michael Jackson. And we want to take a second to decompress and unpack that because we were teenagers and we're not anymore. We're in our 30s, you know, and we're looking back and going, wow, what a time to be alive and be a Michael Jackson fan because this guy really opened the can up. Mm -hmm. It's a hell of a time, a hell of a time. It's, it's funny, too, because I was thinking about this episode earlier before we started recording. And I was like, to live it in real time was something that you had to be there, right? Like, like user two was saying, like, oh, well, you know, we were doing presentations. We were defending Mike. Like, if you were a Michael Jackson fan, you were defending him in person, right? You didn't get to sit behind your, your Twitter fingers or keyboard and, you know, pop off at somebody on We were squaring like, up. had to be in somebody's We were face. squaring yeah. up over, over this guy. You know what I mean? We would stare you down over this in real time. Like, when he put the baby on the balcony, when he shows up in When he showed up to court... Um, uh, with bandages all over his nose, and that—that that was the story. The next day, literally, it's his face falling apart. Go look it up. Shout out but to he, Michael Samuels, who used to ridicule me in every class, every time Michael <laughs> did something that year, and he would say, "Saw your boy hang that baby over the balcony." He was I saw doing it too a lot. He was—I mean, every time he did something. You were on high alert. And the sad thing is that we were no longer talking about the art. We weren't talking about the music. We were defending what we should never have to defend. And in some instances, we probably shouldn't have defended looking back as a 15-year-old. Right. Him putting that baby over the balcony is indefensible. Okay. Like, Michael, what the fuck? Here, I don't care how <laughs> tight you're holding them, okay? But I think the, the thing that had us... <laughs> no. I'm sorry to cut you off, but to your, to your point, like when it came to the allegations that eventually fell out of this, we were teenagers and Gavin was a teenager. So we really took offense to it. Like we was really trying to find this nigga and whoop his ass. But, um, you know, I think when you're a kid, you can see the scam because you a kid and you used to lying and shit. So, you know, he did not, that young man created a lot of, of angry teenage fans for sure. But it was just such a wild moment to feel like you got to defend a grown ass man from child molestation and you yourself are a child. We really should have just been, you know, at the mall, should have logged off and completely 
disengaged and you know Michael, Michael, but Michael sucks you in, and you can't help it. But the the reality is, we should have been just consuming the music, and the and we we ended up in a space as fan because fans become not just fans of the music; they become fans of the this person. And you, as a a teen, you know, of course, that looks different than an adult. You try to be more nuanced as an adult and understanding. But as a teen, you don't really have that insight quite yet. So, yeah, it was a crazy ride. We were defending Michael at every turn against the craziest of things that he found himself into, you know. And it wasn't just that. It was... The workers, you know, ne- there's no workers at Neverland saving Neverland from foreclosure. All the, like there was so much happening. Are the animals being neglected at Neverland? It was so much happening. It was crazy. And so this is just the bigger part of a year and a period that was absolutely insane in the world of Michael Jackson. Absolutely insane in the world of Michael. Jackson. Now listen, users, at the top of this, I said that the last time he had he had chosen to sit for an interview was in 1997. And I linked the, the and that was with Barbara Walters. It was a, a 2020 interview. If y'all don't know anything about 2020 in the in the 90s, you downs Barbara Walters Friday night. Go look it up. Uh, but this was the year that Princess Diana had away. Actually, Diana had just passed away and Barbara Walters wanted to sit with Michael to see because he and Diana were friendly. I don't know if they were the best of friends, but they were friendly. Um, And so Barbara Walters sat with him and he gave her quite a bit in the the 20 minute interview uh, about how he felt about the paparazzi, how he felt about the way he was being portrayed in the media and how he felt about Princess Diana being killed uh, which is what ultimately happened uh, by the paparazzi. And I'd like to, I, I linked this interview. Did you guys watch it? Which one are we talking about? The 1997 Barbara Walters, Michael Jackson interview. Oh God. Yeah. Where, when Prince yeah. was born and he was seen many times. No, well this was, yeah. So Prince had already been born, but I linked this one because of the Diana link. So the reason that, as we all know, that Michael Jackson felt comfortable here is because he had, interviewed previously princess diana and on the strength of her he decided that he was comfortable sitting with martin Bashir. um in this in the barbara Walters interview you have to go back and watch it it is not about it is not in 2003 we're not going to talk about it in depth but he does speak about how he's being treated so badly how he's being talked about how it hurts his feelings that they call him wacko jacko i mean that man poured his heart out to that to, to barbara Walters. i mean what do you guys think Yeah, I think that was one of those interviews where he was very candid. And when you watch the interviews that Michael did in like the late 90s um, through his death, like a lot of times he found himself in front of, I, I pause to say journalist because Oprah's not really a journalist, but folks would interview him. And they were presumably the top of their game. And so Michael was very uh, picky with who he gave interviews or who he gave access to him. And so if he sat down with Barbara Walters, he thought it was because Barbara Walters 
not only was popular, but would be fair. And that wasn't always what happened. You saw that in the Diane Sawyer interview and you see it in the Martin Bashir interview where they start to frame things for Michael and Michael being so naive, he's not catching not a lot of the times he he did not swat it down or some of this stuff would be added in post-production where they're calling him bizarre and odd and not mentioning these things or phrasing it that way to his face. Um, or if they do phrase it that way to him, he would immediately swat it down and try to reframe it for everybody. So it's just an interesting period. But the Barbara one, he was explaining why he sold the pictures of his son and gave the proceeds to charity because it wasn't an Instagram. You couldn't take control of that the way that celebrities can now. And so selling them to people magazine or whichever magazine was the way to do it back then. And him sharing that, I thought if I did this, people would back off and they didn't. It's just an interesting thing to kind of unpack in hindsight. I want to ask a question that is to this point, and I just want to hit it and quit it like the Godfather so would say. This interview happened in with Barbara Walters in 1997. Michael Jackson had been an industry in and in, in the industry at this point he's 30, um, nine years old. He's been in the industry since he was a little boy. And I want to go back to something that user two said, that he was naive. Is it fair for him to still be naive concerning journalists, interviews at this point in his life and career? Was, was he, was that naivete leaning on, was it more than naivete? Or was it truly that? What do you guys think? I think he was too rich to be concerned until it became a real problem. And I think that was to his detriment. He should have, if Michael could have been a little more tethered to reality, it would have been to his benefit. But the fact that he couldn't even sneak to the grocery store or to the movies without it becoming a full-blown thing, like... Most celebrities can figure out how to sneak out of their house. Michael Jackson was not really that guy. Now, then you have the other side of him where he would set that shit up so that he could get the photo op. So, you know, I think he he created a very delicate balance. And, you know, when he wasn't 100 percent on his game mentally, it would tip into the dangerous <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> the, the more dangerous end. So I, I kind of wish he could have been a little bit more wise and strategic. I think that Michael, I think he was naive. And I, and I say that <laughs> I use naive loosely. I think he really, he was so good hearted that he wanted to believe that somewhere deep down inside, Everyone is also good hearted. And I think he thought that if he was sincere and he told the truth and he really, you know, pled his case. I mean, the Barbara Walters interview, I mean, he was really like, this hurts my feelings. I'm a human being like they killed Diana and I feel like it's going to happen to me. Like he was very candid about how he felt 
about the media, the paparazzi, the way he was being treated. And I think he thought that if he was sincere, that she would, or, you know, I don't want to say her specifically, but the editing process would, would all go his way. Unfortunately, he had been burned so many times. He should have known not to put, you know, if you stick your finger in the socket, you get electrocuted. You don't do that again. You know what I mean? Literally got burned. Right. That's my question. You've been here many times before. Is this truly naive or stupid at this point? to think that they will somehow treat you with honesty, respect. And this is any interviewer moving forward. And I'm only framing this because from here we go to 2003 and it's like, should he have been more cautious? Should he have insisted in the contract more control over the final product before it is released? Should he have known better than to allow himself to be exposed in this way? I could see like an artist who has no knowledge of the industry, just green, making the mistake Michael made, which was to have no control, no control. But you know this is how journalists are sometimes. You know that they can lie. We're going to get into a lot of places where other journalists have said, these journalists lied, and they're reputable, supposedly, about my interactions with Michael Jackson. So it's like, at what point do you go, well, Michael, you have invited into your life. I think it's a theme with him. You have invited into your life something, a snake. Potential snake, right? Because you didn't have enough controls over it. And I think that this, this with Barbara Walters, because Barbara Walters turns around and bites his ass as the narrator of living with Michael Jackson in the she United sure States. She so it's this thing of like, wow, he just was flip flop, turned over, bent over the barrel, no lube multiple times. And I don't know if it was reasonable for him to kind of be this way. I guess it also turns on to the team around him at the time, because maybe where he couldn't see, this is where you have those wise men and advisors around you who try to shield you and insulate you from things you're not seeing. And it doesn't look like he had that at the time either. Yeah. Uh, Somebody dropped the ball. He needed our our Kelly's publicist. Anyway, so we're going to jump into... 2003. So from May 2002 to January 2003, Michael Jackson sits for a series of on-camera interviews with Martin Bashir for what would become the television special entitled Living with Michael Jackson. Um, It was first shown in the United Kingdom on ITV um, February 3rd. 2003 and then three days later it debuted in the united states on abc introduced by barbara walters um and it was a documentary that was allegedly supposedly gonna show you what it was like being michael jackson right now in 2003 right so we're we're going back in time and I thought to myself, as I was putting the notes together, why would Michael agree to do this? What was happening? So Michael Jackson's final Sony project was to be released later in 2003. And that was the number one's album. And we'll get to that a little bit later on. So I 
believed that for whatever he was going to do after Sony, because we all know he was not happy with Tommy Mottola, with Sony, he had already called that man mean and devilish and racist. So presumably his relationship with Sony was over after this final album that he owed them. So I think he sat for this really to kind of gear up like a propaganda piece for whatever he had planned to do next. But as we all know, this all went left real quick. Um, do you ladies remember sitting down to watch it? So I remember sitting down watching it with my mama, with user two. Uh, we sat there, watched it, the entire thing, right? And and special opens with Michael Jackson climbing up in his giving tree, asking Martin Bashir to come up. Martin Bashir's like, no way. You know, and Michael's like, no, you should come up here. I sit up here and I write songs. And I so anyway, how it opens and it's all very I don't want to say childish because it sounds judgy, but it's all very kind of playful, almost naive, innocent. And Martin Bashir, from the outset, sounded very judgy. Like, I'm not climbing up there. I'm a, you're a grown man. Why are you climbing a tree? You know what I mean? So do you ladies remember sitting down and watching this? What were your first impressions of living with Michael Jackson? The My first impression of living with Michael Jackson. So I remember sitting down to watch it and I was so excited and anxious and nervous about what it was going to be but I was just looking forward to it um I remember that and I remember um it was a two-night affair correct was it a one-night affair or a two-night affair two it was it was a, a two-night affair and I mean the first night I think we all saw, we didn't like the, I think I remember not liking the narrations from Barbara Walters um, because my understanding of journalists is to present uh, an objective view if they're good at their job. They don't insert their voice. They don't insert their opinions. They let you decide as the listener, the viewer, whatever, right? They just ask the questions and they remove their own thoughts and I remember after the first night thinking like, why is she so, you know, things are getting odd. Things take a turn for the world. Things become questionable. You know, her voice was leading us to what to believe about this interview and about Michael. And then I think by the second night, it was just downhill. And I want to say that at the time, I felt that Michael was blameless in the downhill trajectory. I think in time, as I got older, I could see where mainly it was the journalists and the editors, but that Michael did share some responsibility in how things kind of fleshed themselves out um, because he had done what he should have never done, which was expose himself again to these sort of accusations by making statements that just don't help and you know it you know putting himself in position so i remember thinking like after the first night like oh my god i don't know what's gonna happen next prior to the first night really being super excited to hear what he had to say um and then overall just being sick to my stomach at the end because you knew you just knew this wasn't gonna be good yeah i remember add on to that before you before i'm gonna let you <laughs> i'm gonna let you finish uh ashley but before you say that i want to add on the narration was actually twofold too right martin Bashir was narrating as he was going through but then barbara walters came on like the crypt creeper 
and was narrating, you know, as well. So you kind of got a double whammy with all of these words that kind of sink into your subconscious, odd, weird, uh, disturbing. Uh, those were the words they were, they both were using to kind of reinforce the, the, the narrative that they wanted to give. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, bizarre was the word that I caught when I went back and rewatched it, but you brought up a really good point, 1.5, like the the narration embedded in the actual feature was Martin Bashir, but at the end of each segment before they would go to commercial, they would throw it back to Barbara Walters at 2020. And so they kind of legitimized it like an investigative piece. Well, Michael thought it was more of a reality television thing, um, but... I remember after the first night thinking, oh my God, I don't think I'm going to survive the second part. And almost not wanting the second part to come out because the first night just ended so awkwardly that you knew immediately after it went off that the news cycles were going to turn it into something. And it happened that night. Like, I don't remember what time it came on, if it was like an 8 to 10 type of a thing. I want to say it was reasonable, but all the news networks that night, that was absolutely what they were talking about. And then first thing in the morning. So um, I just remember after that first part, not feeling it, thinking this was all a really bad decision. Didn't want to listen to the radio the next day because all the morning radio jocks would be talking about it. Didn't want to watch the news. It was just... It was just not great. Right. And and Michael with Martin Bashir was all over the place, right? He was in he was at Neverland, he was at the Bambi Awards in where was that? Germany. He was at um he was at the like in a Las Vegas hotel. It was so many different places that he was interviewed because this goes over the course of eight months. And Martin Bashir asked Michael Jackson, a lot of questions that, that, that a lot of us, I think, probably wanted to know the answer to, right? Like, you know, um, he asked Michael about Joe Jackson. He asked Michael about, you know, his, his you know, his family and his kids. And he, you know, there, there are a lot of things in there that we got a lot of good information from Michael, but it was the way that the questions were framed. It was the, the tone in which he was asking that I think a lot of people uh, had a problem with and everybody has to remember nobody in the United States really in not in 2003 knew who Martin Bashir was right this was his in, this was our introduction to him he was maybe big over in the but everybody here was like who is this dude which is why they had to add Barbara Washers on the backside to kind of legitimate Martin Bashir because we didn't know who the F he was um, so this entire interview is what sparks what would be the most controversial part of the entire Living with Michael Jackson. At, at some point in Never, at Neverland, um, Gavin Arvizo is interviewed um, by Martin Bashir, and he states that uh, with Michael Jackson's support, he has to be cancer and Michael is like his best friend. Michael's like a big kid. And then we get to the part where we should have cut. And Michael says that, you know, Gavin has stayed with him and has slept in his room in the bed uh, while Michael slept on the floor. 
this is the biggest piece of this interview. I know we talked about this in the previous podcast, but <laughs> as this was happening, I remember thinking, are you freaking kidding me right now, Michael? Are you really admitting on national television in front of a camera after the charges in, t- in 1993? Are we admitting that we are sleeping in bed, sleeping in a room with any child that's not related to you, right? He did. And I back to user one point, uh, user one's point. Was he naive, y'all? What do y'all think? How did that sit with you all? I mean, it was dumb. It was just a dumb thing to 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 say um because you're always addressing your audience and I think this is where clearly it felt like there were no people to counsel Michael Michael this is not for people this is not for you this is for your audience this will not come off well to this audience they will not understand this so we need to just not say it. That's a, it doesn't make you a liar to just not say certain things because if you say them, they will open up a can of worms that you can't so easily close again. So I think he just lacked the insight and the counsel to make a better choice. And of course, so this became the highlight of the conversation about the interview. The interview contained so many other things that just don't get talked about at all because this became the thing. Um, but terrible, a terrible thing to say, given the history of what he had already been accused of. I mean, no one with good sense would ever think that that was advisable or smart to say. Um, you could see where it was going. It was not going to go into a good place. Understandably so. If, if, if you're, you know, if you got kids, if you're, you know, 12 year old sons, eighth grade teacher says I invite children who I teach um, who need love and need help into my bed or you know to because I don't or or not necessarily invite them in but I don't have a I don't see that there's a problem with them being in bed with me there's nothing sexual going on if if it if it helps them in some way to heal from traumas in their life we just take this and assign to someone that's not famous. It's not Michael Jackson. It's not going to sound good at all. Right. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a mess. It'll yeah. That teacher won't be teaching on Monday. Right. Right. Probably. Yeah. But I think, again, we end up having to talk about this thing because of what came from it. But inside of the Bashir interview, there were things that were, insightful about Michael and his life. And that's hopefully what we get to talk about a little more on our podcast, because those things get overshadowed by what happened with the, our, uh, our visa situation. Absolutely. And, you know, it's like you said, it's sad, right? Really it's sad. Like, you know, Michael had received, I think it was a lifetime achievement award in Germany at the Bambi awards. And that, which should have been like a really good moment for Michael by Martin Bashir saying that, you know, Michael almost went out on stage, you know, at the wrong point. And this is another humiliating moment for Michael. The entire interview was a mess. We all know that the entire special was a mess. And like you said, it, it, it it's overshadowed by the unprofessionalism really uh, of Martin Bashir and, and uh, really everybody that had anything to do with, with, 
with that. Um, and this podcast is about all of 2003, but I do encourage everybody to go back and watch Living with Michael Jackson so you'll know what we're talking about. It really sets the stage for what's now coming up the pike. So in February... Well, let me, let, before you get there, let me, let me ask you this. What were some of the things about Living with Michael Jackson that you enjoyed? I didn't think it was just void of anything enjoyable uh, or insightful, like I said, about Michael. User 2, what did you, what did you, looking back on the teenage you, what did you hear in Living in Michael Jackson or see in Living in Michael Jackson that you went, like, as a fan, like, it just, it geeked you out real quick. I got a couple of things, but what did you, what did you think? You don't climb trees. Watching <laughs> Michael climb that tree was a game changer because I was outside climbing a tree. And as a tomboy, I don't know. I just needed somebody to validate that it was okay for me to keep climbing trees. So I climb trees too. Yeah. I, I I liked seeing him shop. I thought that was just the funnest thing because it if I ever had a thought of him shopping, I feel like that would have been it. Do we have one of those? Let's get one of those. I thought that that was just the coolest thing to see him shop. I also, um, I think what I did recognize even as a teenager was like the profound loneliness. Um, Seeing the the number of mannequins and figurines and life-size, the the green giant, you know, ho, 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 green giant. You know what I mean? Like to see these things that he literally transported with him from place to place. I think I got a sense, even as a teenager, of his loneliness uh, and whatever sadness accompanied that loneliness. So I thought that was really interesting to see. I also enjoyed learning how, uh, you know, his artistic process the writing in the giving tree and really taking that time to be silent, meditative, whatever he got from that experience and how it translated to his art. I thought that was really cool. Um, it was a lot of repeat stuff. We already knew the stuff with Joseph and, you know, um, the early years, some things we really already knew, but I thought there were these nuggets of the genius that we got to see, even in an interview that was, clearly over like i said it became overwhelming the part about the accuser but there were other things yeah and i think by the time we got to michael in the green shirt at the end mm-hmm. when he was talking about little milk little cookies actually that might have been one of the red shirts. that was the burgundy shirt that was the burgundy shirt mm-hmm. yeah, that burgundy brown. shirt lived in infamy like he looked good in that that one was the one that made all mm-hmm. the rounds of course mm-hmm. that one was the round that made that was the mm-hmm. one that made all the rounds, but I think you're right. User one, um, the nuggets of genius there that kind of got washed over, like Michael Jackson revealing that a part of his creative process is climbing a tree shouldn't have been bizarre. That nigga was writing hits. He's like Walt Disney. Yeah. Of course he writes his songs in a tree. Mm-hmm. That was beautiful to find that out. Now, yeah. You know, to pivot from that to him rapidly bouncing blanket on his knee like that. I mean, it was <laughs> it was just really wild yeah. just to see. But that was the humanity of Michael that I think everybody yeah. kind of walked away with. And we hadn't been exposed to him for four straight hours ever. Never. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing, terms. right? Yeah. On his terms, he still did this. Right. We have to take away. There's a really ugly part of this interview. And then there are things we never would have got. 
we never would have gotten these things. You know, him seeing him inside the car, all you crazy European fans, that's what he's he's laughing at you in the car. When you jump in front of his 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 motorcade says, and start slow down, dancing, slow down, slow down, you gotta hit him. <laughs> you know, he's like every time he starts dancing, they drag him away. I mean, like this is stuff he never, never would have got. To this part, he never. You know, gets I mean, to do so it's thing. like, how cool is that to see him and to see the inner workings of his life? I think, and I'm glad it didn't happen just because of how Bashir ended up being. But if you can imagine, if he had invited his mom or someone to join maybe what would have maybe come from that hopefully you can't say it would be have been something good because mom but she really kind of went another direction but so many different things kind of came out we got to see more of the inside of neverland we got to see more of the rides we got to see more more period you know of his life and um those are the things that in going back and looking at what went wrong, sometimes we forget to talk about, wow, well, we never knew this about Michael. We never saw this from Michael and we only got it because he sat down with Martin Bashir. It's such a weighing up. The good does not outweigh the bad, but there is good. Right. And I, I will say, I enjoyed the shopping piece too. Uh, user two and I, when we went to Vegas, the last time we went into the Venetian to that shop that he went in. And let me tell y'all, everything in there is over the top, gaudy, just unnecessary and i love it i can just see some of that stuff sitting in michael's house right now just it's nope. a trash it's a just- trashy shorter place but <laughs> if you walk in you better just be careful where your elbow and your wings hit because yeah. you will like everything to in there is high. down and yeah and you gonna be- now you're gonna have to buy it but like the the owner of the shop has got pictures of <laughs> michael up like michael's my customer uh you know he's so he's definitely he knows fans are gonna come by and hopefully that translates to sales for him and so yeah it's an interesting little shop in vegas in the mall and um so yeah i mean living with michael jackson was a hot ass mess that had nuggets you know it was it was and so february 2003 right after the special aired michael jackson did release a parcel partial statement about the Bashir interview. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in part, he says, I trusted Martin Bashir to come into my life and that of my family because I wanted the truth to be told. Martin Bashir persuaded me to trust him that this would be an honest and fair portrayal of my life and told me that he was quote, the man that turned Diana's life around. I'm surprised that a professional journalist would compromise his integrity by deceiving me this way. Today, I feel more betrayed than perhaps ever before that someone who had got to know my children my staff and me whom I lent into my heart and told the truth could then sacrifice the trust I placed in him to produce this terrible and unfair program um so once it all came out that was all everybody was talking about y'all I mean really every news article extra ET inside edition any of those news magazines any of the tablet that's what they were talking about living with michael jackson so it's either good or it's bad but that's all they were talking about but because of living with michael jackson the california division of child and family service for services ended up conducting a preliminary investigation into the accusations um of sexual misconduct um that were that arose from the, the original Michael Jackson interview with Martin Bashir, Bashir, and those accusations were deemed unfounded, and the investigation was eventually closed. Fast forward to February 
2003. This is when we got the next golden nugget from Michael Jackson. It is called Michael Jackson, the footage you were never meant to see. It was a rebuttal to living with Michael Jackson, host everybody's favorite, You Are Not the Father, Maury Povich. It aired on Fox in the United States and Sky One in the UK. And this footage was shot by Michael Jackson's own cameras during the Bashir interviews. It also includes features. Uh, it also features, excuse me, interviews by um, Michael Jackson's cameraman, Karen Fay. We all know who Karen is. Debbie Rowe. We know who Big Deborah is. Catherine and Joseph Jackson, as well as our favorite brother's keeper, Jermaine Jackson. So users, the footage you were never meant to see. Let's talk about it. Did you all watch that in real time? Absolutely. Pretty sure we called each other after. Oh, yeah. No, this is a real time. You had to watch it in real time because everybody Well, So a lot of people watched it. Nowhere near the number of people who watched Living with Michael Jackson. So it's like the damage was done. Okay. Because. He, the people didn't follow up for the rebuttal. They had already decided based on this prime time, you know, interview. But of course, we watched it in real time. It was fantastic, and I was like, "Come on, Mike, you got to fight back." He he fought back. He was fight. This is a part of the fight back, and good for him because he did at that point. Y'all gonna start believing black people when they we can tell you something and show you and y'all still say we lying and which i just do not yeah, understand in america at all i mean literally this has been the history of black people we show you we tell you we show you we literally had to have them televise our beatings for you to believe it was as bad as it was in the south in the 50s and 60s you know what i mean like show you i tell you i show you and you still think somehow i have concocted a story like he showed you he told you and people still thought he was somehow like martin Bashir still didn't face the sort of consequences he should have for being he was exactly what michael said he lied he misrepresented everything but yeah it's the real you had to watch this one in real time and it was really good um as far as Maury did a good job of saying, hey, he said this, but what he didn't show you was this, right? And linking it all together. I think to me, having Maury do that was the most persuasive. Um, and ABC got quiet. They sure did. They sure did. They didn't say much. They didn't say nothing, actually. And from, and from that, I don't know that we got anything so fantastic. It really just showed you that Martin Bashir really did do what Michael said he did, which was misrepresent everything they talked about in the eight months, almost a year that they spent together. He really misrepresented it. I don't know that we got anything so, you know, groundbreaking. User 2, do you remember there being something about the footage you, ne you were never meant to see that was just like, oh, wow. Like a wow moment in that? Mm, I think Michael's outfit. Which one? He had the short haircut and I think he had like the white glitter military jacket. He just looked better in the footage you were never meant to see and in home movies um, than he did in Living with Michael Jackson for whatever reason. I mean, I think to your point, he was in fight back mode and he decided, okay, let me get back in my superstar bag. Y'all see me in these slacks and 
really forgot I'm that nigga. Let me go put on some fucking glitter or some rhinestones so y'all remember who the fuck I am. Um, I think that's really the big takeaway I remember. I don't really... I was just glad that he did it because we, we were fighting for our lives. Oh, yeah. We I'm, were. Glad, we I'm glad he were. did it. Yeah, I don't think there was anything crazy like, oh, wow. I mean, it was just, it was just sad, really. It was like shaking your head. Like, he really drug you my, like he really played you yeah like I say, that's what we got i say i so i took i, I take notes so i can remember stuff because i'm old now y'all but i will say so they made a point in every commercial break um to say that michael jackson had no editorial control over what they played and i they did that to show that they're not in cahoots with Michael to make the, the Bashir interview look worse than what it was. Right. Um, and they also made it a point to say that Martin Bashir knew about Michael's personal cameras that were also rolling at the same time that his cameras were rolling. I think the, the, the problem that Bashir later said was that he thought that when his, his camera stopped, Michael's camera stopped, which didn't happen. Right. Because in Michael's cameras and he didn't have control over him. Um, the thing that stuck out to me the most, though, in the footage you were never meant to see, Martin Bashir made a really big deal about that trip to the zoo, okay? And if y'all don't remember what I'm talking about, like, the, Michael went out with the kids to the zoo. It ended up being a lot of people that came. He claims that Prince got hit in the face or something to that effect. And he's like, you know, why would you take your children out? Why would you just not go? You know, why would you put your children in that kind of danger? And the thing that really stood out to me was that in the footage you were never meant to see, Michael said, like, I'm not a foreseer of future events. I'm not a soothsayer. Like, he basically was like, I didn't know that a mob of people were going to be there. We were told that the, that the uh, zoo was going to be closed. And that's not what happened. So, unfortunately, it became a circus, which I'm sure is something that Michael was used to, right? Things going sideways because they found out Michael Jackson was there. That's the thing that really stuck out to me because Martin Bashir really made a big deal about that at the end i mean he even said something like i was going to confront michael about what was happening what had happened at the zoo like he used the word confront as if he was saving these poor children so that's what really stuck out to me um martin bashir is a known and proven liar do not trust <laughs> him to do an interview do not trust him to take your order do not trust him to there's no reason and under any circumstances you should trust this man with your words period he is not going to represent them correctly he is not going to tell the truth he is a known and martin bashir let me say it again is a known and proven liar and i hope he has been run out of the journalists arena I don't know if he has. I know that people want him out. You know, Harry and them said he got, you know, he's a trash. He's a trash man. Not a trash man. He's a trash man. <laughs> and, but you know, listen, he's a known and proven liar, Michael Jackson. And I, I think that's the sad thing about today to this day. No one has in with a big microphone said the way Martin Bashir did Michael Jackson just like he did Diana was wrong and because of what he did Michael Jackson's life and I'm not as I said there's a there's a there's a sharing of things because nobody made Michael invite Gavin over and say all the stuff he said but because of what Martin Bashir did Michael Jackson's life was irreparably damaged and changed 
You cannot deny that. He is the blood of Michael Jackson in a lot of ways. Somebody can disagree with me. To me, the blood of Michael Jackson in a lot of ways is on Martin Bashir's hands. And I said what I said. Those are facts. Those are facts. So the footage you were never meant to see aired, like I said, at the end of February in 2003 and April 24th, 2003. And Michael Jackson, this is this is actually a good bit of news, has decided to grace us with Michael Jackson's private home movies. Let me tell y'all, we're only four months into 2003 and Michael has already given us now three television specials. <laughs> That we can sit at home with our popcorn and watch and figure out what's going on. So Michael Jackson's private home movies aired in the U.S. on Fox and the premiere was watched by 7.9 million people. It was narrated by Michael Jackson and featured his closest friends and family in never before seen footage where we get I love to tour. That everybody loves to this is where we get that from. So Michael's actually literally, I think, wasn't he at Neverland sitting in his like theater room or something watching? Um, yeah, I think that might have been the outfit. That was the outfit I was just recalling. That I was just thinking that I think this is the one with the outfit you like. Yeah, the white jacket, the white military jacket, and the short. The, it was a black. It was the black jacket and the white t-shirt. Oh, you're right. You're right. I think. Yeah. the big thing was Michael had changed his hair he took that mm. wig off that shake and go wig that he wore that whole <laughs> documentary and what was crazy when he was with Bashir it's almost like he didn't even brush it like he just woke up and put it on nobody's gonna notice and then when we got to this era <laughs> four months later <laughs> he had completely cut his hair and he was back on his superstar shit so Michael was funny the way he would pivot in a moment to meet whatever needs the public you know, uh, w- w- to meet whatever needs the public was basically trying to demand out of him. He could have put that nappy wig in a pony or something. It was bad. The one in he Bashir was he so bad. He didn't want. It looked good. Some at some. Uh, okay, wait. I'm trying to think. It looked good at some at the point. end because he no. went shorter at yeah. the end. The end point. interviews. The the beginning was terrible. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't have anybody to help him. Sometimes you need a little help. That's why I say he could have put it in a pony. <laughs> it needed some real help. Well, okay, let me ask y'all this about the private home med- videos. A hit or a miss? And why do you think yeah. Michael chose to do this? Like, I know we know he made some money from doing it. And apparently, if I remember at the time, I remember hearing Fox saying they had enough for a second <laughs> round oh, of this. Well, thank God. We never got it. But, Praise the, but Lord. the idea that Fox might be sitting on some additional Michael Jackson footage that they bought is just titillating titillating isn't it crazy how fox like back then you would say thought of this like edgy groundbreaking tv like they had rock and all those black shows martin the shows that (laughs) that that wouldn't play on mainstream abc nbc cbs and now you hear fox and you think like fox news and it's like anyway um yeah the 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 private home movies that was i mean it was cute for what it was but hit or miss definitely for me it's a miss i mean it's some gems in there but i didn't need to see seventeen thousand um uh super soaker fights he kept super soakers in business though i'll tell you that much and finding out that a black man invented super circle uh, <laughs> not sound like janet when she did that episode of snl where she was trying to say cork soakers anyway um 
knowing that a black man invented super soakers, I wish Michael could have met that man because he truly did run that. Like he had too many, too many super soakers. Over a series of years is what he showed us there. So a lot of them. Hit, a hit or miss, miss a, a hit or miss user too. Um, overall, well, okay, like fifteen year old you is a hit, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it was a hit for me at fifteen. Adult me, yeah. yeah. I'm talking as adult me. me. Adult yeah. me is still loves it too. You I know. still love it. I still, uh, I you mean, find good things yeah. in Salvation Army. Ain't that right, Bill? <laughs> because again, it goes back to like he had never done this, and I just felt so, so honored that he decided to just invite us into these very private moments. What I what, what was a miss for me was being bringing debbie on now that was a miss for me at 15 and at 34 oh no debbie wasn't in this one so debbie was in the footage was that, wait a minute. Meant to okay see, wait a minute okay that part was a miss yeah that whole part was a miss for me in that in that spin and i don't know why they fox brought her on but okay yeah, no, yeah no. the private home movies were like like my favorite one that he showed actually it's two it's elizabeth taylor at throwing him the christmas his first christmas and she was like you do realize you're videoing me with no makeup and then um when they were in the grocery store and he was like fake shopping with all his friends and family yeah i love the footage in gary of them in the in the snow and then um, I liked him looking back on his career. Like I liked watching him do that and kind of see those images of himself. Um, but I'm trying to think what else was in uh, the private home movies. Super soaker fights with him. You're right. There was a Falcon. lot of super soaker fights. He also showed us his kids, which was, yeah, I think, shocking he that he decided to give so much of, of them um at the end of that and so yeah it was definitely a hit for me i think that at this point and the public might have been michael jackson out <laughs> <laughs> but the fans wanted you know the fans were gonna love it but i think the public might have been like okay this is not necessarily going to stop you know i don't know do you think it helped like him doing these things did it help I think so. I think in the moment, at least, because it was a content conversation, right? So um, the media cycle wasn't too much different from what it is now. We just didn't have social media to kind of disseminate one piece of information rapidly, right? So like if there's breaking news, chances are everybody knows about it across the country and honestly across the globe within two to four hours. Back then took a little bit longer um but i think those clips from living with michael jackson had holes burned into him i mean they showed him on every possible outlet so providing some new content was a really good idea i don't think it helped long term but i think in that moment it was really helpful do you think it was a distractor or it, that Absolutely. the goal of it was to be yeah. distracted. That was a yeah. PR. That yeah. was a PR was pivot. Point. Okay, so I, who do we know who's running Michael Jackson Inc. at this point? I <laughs> think it's that we need Steve. <laughs> it's the guy. Um, it's the guy that was doing the porn stuff, right? Was this a Tom Tom era? Yes, this is. And this Dieter is all them era? Yeah, this is all them niggas era. Oh, uh, and them are not niggas. Yeah, Be clear white for the historic yeah. record. Yeah, yeah, those were white men, yeah. and not only white men. Like 
white men that were from not from America. I don't know. Really. No, like you got the porn guy, you got Dietzer, yeah, you got Tomei, Tomei, or whatever. Like you have a whole cast of weird characters in the early 2000s. Ramon comes in after that fact, and then she does end up suing him, and I believe they settled with her because he did owe her some money. Whenever you start giving away percentage of your company, you don't have no cash. Instead of just paying people who would normally work for cash for this role, you ain't got no money. He's he's trying to be creative. No, that nigga was... mm. He's being creative. But anyway, go ahead. Use a 1.5. I just wanted to throw it out there that she wasn't actually in the mix for this foolishness. All right. Well, yeah. Well, that makes sense, too, because black women, we usually don't... don't. Anyway. um, So, June... Tom Snedden reopens the misconduct investigation that had been closed in February. And without saying too much about DS, we all know that he had this weird obsession with Michael and getting Michael. So he's at the forefront of reopening this investigation. And then fast forward to the end of June, June 24, 2003. This is Michael Jackson's infamous BET Awards surprise for his mentor one of the people that he says influenced him more than anybody else james brown because james brown was receiving a lifetime achievement award and michael jackson presented it to him i know we talked about this in another podcast but y'all this was do y'all remember michael jackson coming out i just remember first of all this is when i actually watched bt awards i really don't watch it now but I just remember Michael Jackson walking out with that white shirt and blue pants and that belt. Okay. And everybody was like, oh my God, is that Michael? It was truly a surprise. Yeah, I think we discussed this on a previous episode, but um, when Michael came with that chest out, that little bit of chest out, baby, and those distressed (laughs) jeans. With the bedazzledness. He bedazzled them. So like, (laughs) I, I I think... I don't know if this was before I was working at Aeropostal or during that era, probably right before. Um, but I remember going into Aeropostal and getting a pair of jeans that looked just like it, had a little bit of glitter on it, didn't have the rhinestones, but it had a little sparkle, had the light color to it. I wore them jeans out. And, and you can't convince me they weren't a women's fit because the way they <laughs> were sitting on him, them low rise was the same way they were sitting on me. So, and we waited about the same thing at, at that time. So, yeah, Michael, he came out flinging that hair and he was going to do it for James for the for the one time. It was beautiful. Yeah, he, he looked good with a T on the end. Yeah, he, he looked good. He was really looking good. This was like the bright, one of the brightest spots of this year. Mm-hmm. This year needed this moment for Michael to remember how loved he is by the black community and how loved he is for what he's accomplished. So him coming out at the BET awards and who else was going to give James Brown present James Brown with the lifetime achievement award. Who else was going to do that? Wasn't going to be Omarion. (gasps) Oh no. (laughs) That hurt me. Oh God! Oh, oh shout out to Chris Lucy. Brown wasn't even a thing yet. He was nowhere. Right. Chris wasn't near even. Chris was at school with us. He was at school hanging out like everybody else. Like yeah. I mean, so yeah, who else alive was going to present James Brown with yeah. the Lifetime Achievement Award at the BET Awards? Who? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just, I mean, James Brown face. I mean, my God, because James Brown didn't even know he was going to be there. That like that for me was everything. Like he was so happy and shocked and surprised and, and, yeah, that was James. Just a really James great Brown moment. had that look on his face, like when you show up at your grandma's house and she didn't know you were coming. Right, right. That's how he looked. Yeah, it was. That's how he looked. He hey. was so excited, and yeah, that was. That's probably. I mean, that's definitely for BET one of their top moments. Period. Like Michael Jackson coming out and doing Michael a little. Jackson. Doing <laughs> I mean, that's just, yeah, that's, that's literally in the last decade of Michael's life. This is ranks high on the list of he did that moments. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at this point, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm trying to remember because this was some years ago, but at this point, I don't even think that what had happened in February with the living with my, Michael Jackson, I don't even think that was in the forefront of our minds. I think at this point, as a as a people, I feel like we had moved on. You know, we weren't thinking anything of it. We were just like, okay, maybe you'll do better next time, Mike. But by the time the BET Awards came around in June, we were like, okay, you know, like I don't, I don't feel like. Do y'all, do y'all remember that it be like any of the previous things being a big deal by June? Yes. 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 Because <laughs> that whole school year sucked. I remember <laughs> it was 10th grade year. Like that whole school year was fucking rough for Michael fans. But again, this was after um, the footage you were never meant to see and home movies. This was like a part of the treats package where you kind of wish that living with Michael Jackson had gone well because if it would have, he would have had a phenomenal year. And I think strategically, he could have set himself up for a lot of new opportunities. I don't remember if at this point he had already sold his portion of the Beatles catalog and was waiting on that opportunity to buy it back or what. But if living with Michael Jackson had gone well, he would have had a phenomenal year and he really would have had an opportunity to kind of, you know, release some new music or something. But at that point, Invincible was so damn dead in the water. Like there was no hope on any of that coming back. So you like to think when he agreed to it, he was agreeing to it with four vision thinking this is an opportunity for me to reintroduce myself. Invincible didn't go well. You know, let me show how I'm living over here because y'all have never seen it. Reality TV by this point had been in existence for a smooth 10-ish years. Like MTV had pretty much saturated that market by that point. Um, And so I think he thought if I go find some journalists who are critically acclaimed and highly revered, they will hold me without bias. And that did not happen. That did not happen at all. That's that's very true. And, you know, so B- the BET were a highlight, right? The highlight, I think. I'm with user one on this. The highlight of 2003 for Michael. But coming in a close second, four months later, October 27th, 2003, Michael Jackson is at the Radio Music Awards at the Aladdin Casino and Resort in Las Vegas. And he received the inaugural 
Radio Music Award, Humanitarian Award, and it was presented to him by Beyonce. And he got the opportunity to do what he couldn't do prior, which is debut the music video for What More Can I Give? Do you all remember watching this? Did y'all awards, the Radio Music Awards? Like, I don't think it was a secret Michael Jackson was going to be there. So do y'all remember watching this? I don't remember watching it in real time, but do, do y'all remember watching it? Are we talking about the clip, the Dove Awards? Or are we talking about a no the Radio time? Music Awards when Beyonce gave him? Ah, he, yes. She presented him with the humanitarian award. She had on that like uh, kind of like cream colored dress, and then she have a little updo, like a little pony. no. Her, nope, her hair was all down. Oh, click on the link, sweetie. Click on the link. Sorry, I'm look. I'm looking in my mind. Um, but Michael had on the all black with the gloves on, right? I I do remember watching this because it came out on it was on network television. So yes. what 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 dear listeners of this podcast need to understand is that user two and I have been deep in the Michael Matrix for many years. So barring some sort of event or reality that stopped us from watching something Michael was on in the moment, we watched it. Okay, because we were on the message boards, we knew what was happening, we knew how things were happening, and I think that's why user two is going like, no, we didn't forget about this. It was because there were rumblings about the investigations and the inquiries into things. So this stuff was kind of an an undercurrent that the fans understood. This is not going away, you know, in the moment. But yes, I remember this because I remember Beyonce giving him the, introducing him um, and giving him that award. So yeah, I mean, this is a time where Michael's collecting his, you know, his little plaques, still collecting. And for these award shows, it's like, we got to figure out something to give him because giving him something means viewers. It wasn't really about Michael, but if we can give him something, he's going to draw more attention to our award show. So that's kind of his purpose so finding a way when he's not really releasing music right in this moment like user two said invincible is dead how do we still involve him these are the ways that he's still involved give him a humanitarian award give him this and it's not undeserved it's just this is the only way we can kind of get him and thereby get that audience that's only going to come because he's on something yeah and i just i i so i'll tell the the listeners so user one and user two they were deep into the michael matrix i was like not um and they are a little bit younger than me so they their michael love started was long and deep um way before i knew half the stuff that i know about michael um and i'm a huge michael jackson fan now i absolutely adore him but like i wasn't going to school ready to fight every day you know kudos to y'all who was going to school ready to fight every day because that just wasn't my reality i do remember a lot of this stuff because it was happening like like, like we said in real time so it's not like we were little kids like three four five you know we were almost grown you know or thought we were <laughs> thought we were um when all this was going on so the radio music awards Beyonce actually said like they had to create an award for Michael Jackson. It is the humanitarian award. <laughs> They're like, well, you're coming on this show, Negro. I don't like, know how we're going to get here. Like, and y'all got to remember this stuff is not happening in the YouTube era or the streaming era where if you don't watch it in the moment, that's fine. It's going to be online in like 10 minutes or whatever. You are going to either watch it when it comes on, record it so that you can watch it later, or you can wait. 
what you well, want to do. That's, we that's learned, really we pretty much the options we had back in the day. Yeah. 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 That's what we had back in the day. So people really did stop to watch things because you have the, the, their that alternatives weren't what they are now to where you could be like, I'm not watching the BET Awards. Everybody going to be talking about it on Twitter and Insta and it's going to show up on a TikTok soon and I don't have to really worry about it. So I'm not going to stream it or whatever. Like that wasn't the reality. So if you're, if, if you're under, I don't know, if you're under t- 25 and you're like, trust me, like it was just a different time where, and I think and honestly, there's something to be missed about that time because we were all watching at the same time, this thing. And there's something Calling there. in the commercial break, y'all. We were yeah, call- we would call on the commercial break, but commercial then you, I got to go once it come back on. So just a different time entirely. But yeah, we were definitely watching all this stuff as it was happening. Yeah. And I think for Michael, this was a big moment for him because he finally got to debut the What More Can I Give music video. He really, really loved this song. And as we talked about in the previous podcast, Sony kind of killed it. You know, it was DOA, but it was a beautiful song. It meant a lot to him. And so I think this is probably a, this is one of those big moments for him too, because he did the world to be able to experience what more can I give um, and in a meaningful way. Um, and so, you know, two years after it was recorded, he, he got to present it along with uh, this humanitarian award that Beyonce uh, presented to him. User two, um, name, user, 10, 10, yeah. name 10 celebrities and what more can I give video? Go on the, on the track. Celine Dion, Beyonce. Usher, Bono, Lionel Richie, Gloria Stefan, Shakira, fuck, John Stockman, <laughs> uh, Boys Man, that's three. Okay, you need two more. Uh, Insane. Insane. Uh, She's doing this. Uh, okay, give Insane. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, Destiny Shop. I said Destiny Beyonce, shows. but give me Destiny yeah. Show. Destiny Show. And there, there are many, many more. Carlos Santana, I believe, was was he in this? He was in this yep, too. Yep, he was playing his guitar, honey. Yeah, Celine Dion crying and we're about praying how good this song was. recovery for Carlos because he collapsed on stage, so we're praying for you. Oh, baby. yeah. God yeah, bless you, Carlos. Even though he was a little bit of a predator with Sheila E. dating her when she was like 17. Mm. God bless him. Because oh, okay. I love Smooth. Featuring yep. Rob Thomas. Period. Mariah Carey was in this. Yeah, Nini Celine crying. User two. Celine crying was everything to me because I think Celine is one of the voices. You hear me? And um, she was just. I thank you, Michael Jackson, for writing such a beautiful <laughs> song, honey. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Celine's. Some people don't appreciate Miss Dion, but I am not one of those people. Um, if Celine says it's a bop, it's a bop. Period. Amen. For real, though. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Luther if Vandross. You, you forgot about like Luther. This. Luther Vandross was in there. Oh, um, Luther was in it. He sure was. Shout out to Luther Vandross. On. May he rest in peace. Um, Ziggy Marley was in it. Brian McKnight. Billy Gil- Gilman. That's that little boy. Little Billy. Mm-hmm. Little Billy. <laughs> and the cool thing is, when they recorded the song, they all got in. Was it a Rose Royce or something that they all signed? They all sat in the car and autographed it, and then they auctioned that off. Now I want y'all to tell me the individuals that were in 
heal the world. I'm only thinking of a specific set that share blood that were not included in what more can I give? Heal the world? Mm-hmm. Or we are... We, I mean, we are the world. My bad. We are the world. We are the world. You're being messy. So I'm, I'm who gonna, was the answer. question? No, I'm not going to ask you. She's being messy. I want to answer it. Ask it again. <laughs> who... What individuals who share a family relation were invited to participate in We Are the World, but were not included in the recording of What More Can I Give? Buzz, can I go? <laughs> yeah, go I don't know why you're doing this. Don't do this. That would be why are you like this? Latoya Jackson. <laughs> Massive. Randy Jackson. What? Wow. Marlon Jackson. Uh-huh. Jackie Jackson. Uh-huh. Tito Jackson. Now you could just say the Jacksons. <laughs> you ain't got to go through all of this. This is just messy. And you know what's funny? Jermaine really wasn't there. Was he? No. No, he was not. <laughs> I wonder why Michael didn't invite Let's his siblings. Why did- <laughs> Drop it. <laughs> why? I wonder why he didn't invite them, though. Buzz, is that a real answer? question? Is that a real question? <laughs> it's a real question. Buzz, 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 buzz. Like it's a real question. Can I answer? Go ahead. He was on drugs. Stop it. And I'm gonna be honest. We try to overlook that shit, but Michael was on drugs, and he was actively avoiding any type of accountability because he thought he had it under control. And he also didn't realize it was an addiction because these were doctors that were catering to him. So in his head. This is all fine. This is legal. It's fine. And I think he created that distance between himself and his family in a way that a lot of addicts do, unfortunately. And I know it's tough to look at Michael like an addict, but he was definitely on that shit. And I think if he was around his family for too long, they might try to hold him accountable for that. So I think I that's, just what, think that's why he, he only showed up to be, the family dinners and shit. Where no, I just think he shit. didn't want him there. I just think he was tired. And that's of also it. possible too. I think yeah. it's a little bit of both, but I definitely think this is accountability time, like user two saying. There was a lot, you know, that was happening that they were trying to get a hold of him for to help. And I think this is a part of that time. And he had just done such a an incredible job of insulating himself professionally from any links to his family, which is, I, I don't know, w- understandable and weird in some ways. It's like, well, you can't really unlink yourself to that beginning and who they are um, and how they have impacted your reality of your, you know, what you've become. But he really, Janet was the only one and that was a one-time deal. <laughs> and then he was off of that so it's like he really i think pushed them uh, or put them to the side in a way that is i think was unfortunate when you look back on it like looking back it's like dang i wish you would have caught like how dope would it have been to look up and see the jackson five well, well let me ask y'all this like so, doing just a little d dot in what, the song so when what what oh, excuse me so when what more can I give when they recorded that that was after 9/11 right he wrote it prior to that but it was after 9/11 that they recorded it with all these artists right correct right so he had already done 
the 30th anniversary. So I, you know what, user two, you know, as much as we like to laugh and joke and play, like you might be right. They probably at those MSG shows were like, what the F is going on? Because we know for a fact that Michael showed up there in uh, an inebriated state. And he probably didn't want to have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So he just didn't, he just didn't call him back, you know, that that's it. Right. Uh, so what more can I give was originally written after the Rodney King verdicts in 1992. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. You're talking about a song that he had had in, you know, for a minute. But yeah, yeah, no, I think user two might be on to something. Just that I think that he did not want to open himself up. Cause can you imagine you know, Tito could have did the guitar parts. I mean, I love Carlos Santana, but Tito could have did the guitar part. That's not what Michael wanted. All right, let's round off. 2003 because we're in october at the end of october we getting close to thanksgiving we're getting close to turkey season <laughs> this nigga <laughs> had the roughest year on record like, we're getting close to turkey season and november's when it turned up if oh november y'all when would it be drinking good. nightly you would be drinking nightly if you had the year he had okay if, if we if this happened right now i would be drinking heavily through that shit too because this was rough to go through sober as a fan so i, I know he yeah. he was not yeah. loving it none yeah. of the jacksons were loving this shit and honestly i hope they have talked about this shit to a therapist because this was a rough year please remember the super bowl was the next year <laughs> god damn <laughs> <laughs> bam 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 okay bad i feel time. like bad time. Bad time. Like pops. bam 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 okay so November 18th, 2003, Michael Jackson's final album with Sony slash Epic Records is released. It reached number one around the world, hence the name, number ones. And it featured the last original song to be released in Michael Jackson's lifetime, One More Chance. Uh, Number ones made Michael Jackson the first artist in history to have over a million downloads in one week. So we're talking about the beginning of the legal. Now we ain't talking about LimeWire now, y'all. Now, if y'all don't know about LimeWire, then go get you get your life. Okay. We're talking about legal downloads, the beginning of the internet age where you didn't have to go to the store, buy the full app album in order to hear what you wanted to hear so michael jackson was still making history in 2003 as the first artist in history to have over 1 million downloads of an album also on november 18th 2003 this is a really good and bad day for michael the police searched neverland ranch with a search warrant looking for evidence that's all we can say well let's Um, go back before before we go there let's go back to the release of number ones so even though you could download most of us were still going out and getting the the copy i remember going out and getting that album really for one more chance i mean because everything else you had because you had everything else you had everything else and as a child i want my money back because i michael you got me okay because i i needed to put my coins to something else because i had all these songs multiple times over so we really went and got it for one more chance. And that was, that, I mean, that really was that. Um, but the, regardless of that, 
Michael, do you remember how much that, I'm sorry, do you remember how much that album cost you? In it was probably like 13, 14, 15 bucks. Yeah, I feel like the magic number for CDs was like nine ninety eight. Or eleven ninety. No, now it is no. Back then it was like fifteen, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, or more. I was gonna say eighteen to twenty. Yeah, but I don't think this album hit that that high. But it talking about number ones. Yeah, number ones was probably fourteen. I feel like fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, it was fourteen or fifteen bucks. And I I mean, think about it again. You've just paid fifteen dollars for one song. Let's really distill this thing because we had all this stuff, so we really bought it for that. This was Michael satisfying his contract, but it's a lazy satisfaction of contract for the fans because it is literally fifteen to twenty bucks, depending on where you go, for one new track. Because if you're a fan, you got all this stuff. And most people have all this stuff. So, you know, there was nothing special about this. It was one. It was the R. Kelly track. It was One More Chance. The end. So I think Michael didn't care. I think this was just him complying with what he legally needed to do for Sony. The end. That's it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, he, he cared, I guess, to an extent because he did start to record a video for One More Chance. Yeah, I definitely think it was a good day for him. And I, and I, and I put both those facts together, right? The, the Neverland search and the release because it all happened in the same day. But it was a good day for him because he's like, okay, finally, I got, I fulfilled my contract with Sony. And we all know he wasn't going to release his next album with Sony. Like, we all know that, right? So he's probably like, thank God, I'm done. But then... <laughs> you know he got people rummaging through his home which which couldn't have been comfortable and it couldn't have been cool he wasn't there right he was in las vegas about to record the music video for one more chance um and so november 20th while he was recording the music video is when michael jackson was arrested um and november 22nd two days later one more chance was released as a single uh written and produced by R. Kelly, Robert Kelly. Um, God, I forgot about that. Jesus <laughs> Christ. And he didn't even take his vocals off the track. Like, you could hear Robert loud as hell on that song. What do y'all think about One More Chance? The, the, it's the good track. as fuck. It's yeah. a pop. I love this song. I love this song. Like, it's actually a really good song. And I say that as someone who hates Robert Kelly, but you can't deny a goddamn hit. <laughs> and it was not a hit. So I guess actually you can deny it. It was not a hit song, but it was a good little bop. But I remember, shit, who dropped it? And it was like a Zane exclusive or whatever British radio station got the first drop. And everybody's copy before number ones came out said, this is an exclusive Michael Jackson, one more chance. And it said that like every 30 seconds because... It's like we got, oh, we got yeah. that song as a treat and we didn't know if we were actually going to get it. Um, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. a good No, it's a good song. Free R. Kelly. Yeah. It's a it's a good song. Girl! Um, <laughs> do not free that. It would look. It so, don't matter what um, you say. He ain't getting out. You know, don't. That's what y'all said about Bill. Bill only had charges in one oh, state. Yeah. Don't, wor- don't worry. Things can happen. Anyway. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I mean, it's a good song. It's not a bad song at all. R. Kelly is a master song writer. I mean, he's a master storyteller, period. So you, That's know, true. you, That's you can true. think whatever you want to think about him. I mean, you'll believe whatever. Or I mean, he he has done the things he's accused of. So I'm not saying hey, he has Hey, listen. Um, regardless of what we have to say, he's Michael very talented. It. 
I mean, Michael, Michael worked with R. Kelly multiple times in his career. And um, so it's a good song. I think we all liked the song. It had like a nice vibe. And so, I mean, it, it just sucks. It kind of gets sucked up into this, this thing of what's happening. So it doesn't really get what it could have gotten because Michael was working on a video. And I would have loved to see what he wanted that to look like, not what ended up being pieced together for us years later but um i'm assuming i would i mean i hope i can just imagine he had something really you know special planned and unfortunately he didn't get to to complete it yeah i want to know so you know we got the video that we got was with the long shots of him kind of the back of him really um to the crowds and jumping on the tables but i would have loved to see too what that what the entire concept was about but you know we can only guess at this point um, you know what was going to happen. So look, let's round out 2003 because it's already a lot going on. December 18th, 2003, Michael Jackson was charged with seven counts of child molestation and two counts of administering an intoxicating agent for the purpose of committing a felony. Now, we do know that those charges, he went to trial in 2005 and he was exonerated, uh, not guilty of all of the charges, acquitted of all of those charges. But 2003 is when he was charged initially, and then he made a public statement. He made actually public statements after that, pro professing his innocence. The first one was a taped statement uh, that he had. That he had. I guess he was at Net. Well, I don't come back to Netherlands after that, right? So uh, wherever he was in the world, he, there's a taped statement where he said that he's innocent. He wants his day in court. He wants to be treated as any other American would be treated. You know, innocent until proven guilty. And then the very the, the second very public statement aired December twenty eighth two thousand and three, and it was a sixty minutes interview with Ed Bradley. The actual interview took place on Christmas Day, and it aired three days later. And Michael recounted his experience uh, being booked at the police station, and also again professed his innocence. So users. Let's talk about those last two statements and round out 2003 because I'm exhausted. Oh, God. So is Michael. <laughs> Jesus. So did you all watch the Ed Bradley interview? Actually, did I? I, I yeah. everybody watched yeah. it the other day. Are you kidding me? No. Yeah. Shout out to Ed Bradley. Rest his soul. Shout out to Ed Bradley because he did everything in his power. To keep a straight face. Mm -hmm. But Michael was saying some stuff that just didn't quite make sense. Now, here's the thing. I watched it recently and tried to truly discern. Was Michael making up this police brutality shit? Or did it really, really happen? Because it's hard for me to believe that Michael Jackson got manhandled. And his attorney at the time, which was Mark Garagos, just let it. Just let right. it die. Okay. Here's and this is the same thing I said to user 1.5. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying that when you have, when the police have someone of this caliber walk into their booking, they they are on high alert that it could any wrong move could turn into litigation for them in in the midst of this thing. So it's hard to believe that they would have so brazenly done the things he claims happened. And it's also hard to believe that Mark Garagos or um, 
Tom Mesereau would know about these things, Tom Mesereau later, and then not choose or encourage their client to prosecute. And at the point that you're going to be vocal about it, you must be ready to pro- to, to bring some sort of charges against the sheriff's department. And he was very vocal about it to Ed Bradley, but we didn't see any subsequent, um, you know, civil rights violation lawsuits or anything like that so i don't know it just feels i don't know i just think it's one of those situations where it's like or maybe michael just said i just want this thing to be over with don't even go down this road but i want people to know what happened to me but again it just feels like wow if this is what happened we know the police have behaved badly with many people and in many circumstances it just feels a little off that this is how brazen they allegedly were with him in mishandling him. Um, Right. And I just want to really quick so that people know what you're talking about. So during the interview, um, Ed Bradley asked Michael Jackson, what happened when they arrested him? What did they do to him? And I'm going to read from the transcripts. I don't allow Michael. Um, Michael said they were supposed to go in and just check for fingerprints and do the whole thing they do when they take somebody in they manhandled me very roughly my shoulder is dislocated literally it's hurting me very badly i'm in pain all the time uh and then he says uh, at the police station um that at some point i'm not reading from the transcript but at some point he said that he has to go to the restroom they told him that there was one around the corner and then they locked him in there there was feces on the floor and the ceiling and they basically held him hostage Kidnapped him in the restroom. So, at some point, I had to go to the restroom, and they took me in there, and there was doo doo and feces all over the walls. It stunk so bad, and they locked me in there for like forty five minutes. And they said, "This smell good in there. You like it in there?" And I told them, "It's okay." That sounds like a scene from Bad, don't it? I mean, it's just so wild. I mean, it's why I'm not saying it didn't happen, but it just I believe that part actually did happen. It seems so wild. Um, And then it's like, well, Michael, did they say, are you okay in there to be facetious and mocking? Or were they legitimately asking you? Right. You okay? Like, did you lock yourself in, in there? there? Because you know like, he was yeah. crying. I yeah. know y'all don't think that man won't in there crying. He cried, even if he won't but a sniffle. Because I know I would have. I would have cried too. Shit, <laughs> I don't think he I'm, cried. I you don't think, think he went in the bathroom and, and shed a tear? I do think he probably did shed a tear, okay. but I don't think he was in there weeping. Here's no, what I, I don't. Think. I don't think that. I don't think that. But I think that he was in there long enough for to give pause. Yeah. Oh, I think that's why he went. I don't think he yeah. just had a full bladder, but I think also <laughs> when he was describing the facility, I thought about what does doo doo and feces all over the walls look like to Michael Jackson, who right, probably never exactly. uses a public restroom, but certainly not one in a jail. Right. right. He ain't and, been in a 7 Eleven bathroom recently. Right. Doo doo and feces all over the wall in there. Exactly. And, and the 7 Eleven bathroom and the jail bathroom are probably. If I had to guess. And so I imagine they took Michael to the restroom and his, the floor was probably sticky because the man, the, the man, men's bathroom is always sticky. There's pee all over the floor. Y'all pee on everything. Mm -hmm. 
So I can I can imagine him walking in there in his little loafers and it's smelling pissy. And at some point, a grown ass man wiped a little bit of doo off his hands onto a wall. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that because we oh, all yeah, the restaurant was disgusting. Absolutely. In the yeah. prison? Yeah. In, in the, the jail? Yeah. Yeah, now that's that's nasty. It's 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 disgusting in there. I don't doubt that part. Do I think that they just intentionally threw Michael Jackson around to and fro? That would be the dumbest thing in the world to do. Not not let's say they want to. Let's just talk about the liability we open ourselves up to if we do this. So that's what makes it kind of hard to believe that they would do anything. Think about this. The the, the police absolutely are going to treat a regular Joe Blow any kind of way a lot of times. But when Bill Cosby gets arrested or Michael Jackson gets arrested or any of these high profile people, just an idiot would decide to not take extra care to not find yourselves without a job maybe and sued at worst. So I'm not saying I don't think it happened. I'm just, I just wonder, did the experience really occur in the way that he says, or was it like you said, user two, maybe for him more pronounced and exaggerated because this is, he's not used to this, regular regular joe blow life yeah and i think you know another thing that michael kept saying was that he was hurting and i don't think he i think maybe he meant literally because he claims i mean you know ed bradley said that he produced these pictures of these kind of markings on his arm and he claims that's when they manhandled him but I think when he says I'm hurting so bad and if you watch the interview he says it a couple of times I'm hurting so much I think he meant mentally, emotionally hurting because first of all, it's embarrassing. Okay. I don't know if y'all ever seen the, uh, what's that, what's that mugshot magazine called in Riley? Uh, where they put people mugshots out there. Hey, <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. I know the one. The slammer. Get, the the slammer. slammer. Yeah. yeah, that is. Now let they me be clear. Everybody. The slammer is in all 100 counties. Mm-hmm. Is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, shout out to North Carolina. Listen. Mm-hmm. How embarrassing is it to have your picture in the slammer? I mean, I remember one time, one of my coworkers, when I worked at Red Lobster, their picture was in the slammer for, for something crazy. I don't remember what it was. I think it was like a salt. Honey, somebody bought that magazine and put it up, hung it up on the board where all our schedules were. So everybody saw it when they were all there. How embarrassing is that? Okay. Now you got Michael Jackson, the biggest star in the world, right? With his mugshot all over the place. Walking into a jail because so that in and of itself was devastating i'm sure for michael and then you have to be booked you have to be fingerprinted you're being treated like a criminal again right because remember this ain't his first time his first rodeo with the la county you know people and i'm sure he was hurting he probably was trying to figure out how he got himself into this at into the spot again Hell, we all were trying to figure out how he got well, himself. I think he was emphasizing the, the physical pain. I mean, I think it's like, obviously, he was mentally anguished by it. But I think he was he was zeroing in on the, the physical pain because he was like, I can't move my arm beyond here and I can't move this arm beyond here. And from what I understand, and I don't, because I don't get into this sort of this world, um, those handcuffs can, he was a little dude. 
And those handcuffs and the way they have to maneuver your arm and stuff, there can be some damage done to you in that whole process. So I think that that's something that is common to happen. And, um, I I mean, I'm thinking about how much, how much did Michael weigh like 130 pounds when they took him in? Yeah. So you're talking about a five foot, yeah, five foot 10 man. His wrists were probably super small, but the handcuffs probably had to be tightened further up his arms to to secure them and or I, I don't that's know that's what he was saying because the pictures that he showed on ed bradley the bruise was in between his elbow and his wrist and so i think what you're saying is correct user when they slid those handcuffs up but anyone if you've ever had the unfortunate circumstance of sitting in the back of a cop car which i have done i've never been arrested or detained but i rode in the back of a cop car to another location i have to i've never been arrested either but i had a, a very nice police officer pick me up and took me across the street when my car broke down on the highway and i sat in the back of that car it's stressful y'all it's very and, and they, <laughs> they're there to protect and serve so there's that but i don't know if yours was the same latoya but like do did they have that indention in the seat? First of all, that seat is hard plastic, and then yes, it, it is a plastic seat. They don't want nobody throwing up or pissing all over. <laughs> no PP on that, and there it it is a a mold of your body yeah. with your hands behind your back, so that when you sit down, you can comfortably you can only sit with your hands behind your back. So when I sat back there, we were just riding around the neighborhood, and I had to put my hands behind my back as a kid because I'm like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Um, but I can imagine that for Michael, you know, they didn't take him in a, in a, I think he got dropped off in a luxury vehicle. Yeah. But I'm sure when they took him back there and put them hands behind his back, um, them handcuffs were probably pretty far up. And if you remember, they were just trying to like shovel him into the building real quickly. There were helicopters outside. So I don't doubt that he got hurt or bruised, but Michael, I don't know. He said both shoulders were dislocated. And that that was that was clearly untrue because a person with <laughs> disc, dislocated arms is not going to sit with Ed Bradley for that long. But he did say his handler came out and he said, can we hurry up? I'm in pain. I don't feel good. And I felt so bad for him. But I'm just like, Michael was clearly inebriated through most of that interview. You can watch and look in his eyes and tell. So it was just a lot going on, but Ed Bradley, God bless you. Even on the other side, man, you got through it. it wasn't he great. was Ed Bradley was trying to just say like, can't you understand where people will be concerned or yeah. find pause? He was trying to give Michael to just concede certain realities of everyday how people are going to view view this behavior. You know. Um, and he just, Michael refused. He refused, refused, refused. And again, I think Ed Bradley would have been, was an honest journalist who really gave Michael space to kind of give his side of things or to answer these questions and not do what Martin Bashir d- did, which was then misrepresent the interview. And I, it might have been a missed opportunity for Michael. Um, and, um, because if we are sitting here talking about the feces and the 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 restraints and the uh, the shoulder and the, I hurt over the substance, that means Michael didn't do a good job of directing 
the conversation to I am not this guy. And I look, I didn't understand before how people could view things this way, but I understand now. And I just got to let you know, I'm not that person. I understand right. it may look a certain way. It may look bad. And that was never my intent. I'm not that person. And not only did I not mean for that, someone sat here and lied on me and I'm coming for your ass. As soon as I get the situation behind me, you yeah. know, and like, it's like he missed an opportunity. I think because he then directed a lot of the interview became about Michael and what his experience was. And it was like, well, no, because the reason you're experiencing that is because of other things that we need to talk about and you need to do a better job of explaining to the public and showing some sort of, I've learned something. And I don't know that we got that fully, even though I think Ed Bradley gave him the best opportunity to do it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, like Ed Bradley at one point, and I, we're going to link the transcript for you guys in the notes so you can read it. Um, but in at one point he was like, why did you develop no plan? He, you know, so that Michael could really explain. So I think Ed Bradley gave him the opportunity to go back. Why did you want to do Neverland? You do help children, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like he's trying to, to, to it's like, let's say help a brother out. I think he was trying to help him out um, so that he could really explain his, his point. And, you know, Michael said, you know, it's the people with the, with the dirty minds that think that he's going to do something to children that he doesn't think that way. And Ed Bradley says, and you think people look at you and think that way today. And he said, if they have a sick mind, yeah. And if they believe the trash they read in newspapers, yeah. And, and it's not what, just because I remember something, just because it's in print doesn't mean it's the gospel people write negative things because they feel like it sells good news to them doesn't sell right so michael then goes on this attack with the media and then he you know starts talking about the police department and what they you know what he alleges they did to him instead of what user one said like i can understand now how it looks but this is not my, like she said, not my intention. Yeah, he definitely missed a golden opportunity to to really acknowledge that he could have gone about things a different way. It's like they used to say, don't let your good be evil spoken of. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yep. Mm -hmm. You yep. have got to do a better job mm -hmm. of protecting yourself. These are the things that I know someone told Michael at some point. You got to receive it, though. People can put a lot of stuff out there into the into your atmosphere, but you better start receiving some of it. Yeah. And it, he never received it because it's like, you know, your good has been, you know, your good has now been tarnish the good you've done you know because you just refused it this should have never i don't care what you know i love michael and i think as a fan i was angry at this point at absolutely. him absolutely i was pissed i was like are you for real i'm still like, not a little only, mad i'm still yeah i'm still a little pissed i need to go therapy for that part i'm still a little pissed because it's like you know fans we rode with you we 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 defended you. We did all this stuff. You should have never. And your fa let's not even talk about what your family did for you. You should have never put yourself back in this posture. 
and you did, and then you still couldn't get right on how to talk about where you went wrong. You still struggling. And I mean, it was just a very challenging time to be a fan because this stuff was unfolding in real time. We watched him on TV get booked, you know, and it was just like, how terrible is this? And of course we believed in his innocence, but it was also like, if you're innocent, why do you keep, we are repeating the same thing from 10 years ago. You have gone on and done an exclusive video where you say you didn't do it the same as you did in 93. Um, except for this time, you actually got to go to court because remember, because of 93, you don't get to make those accusations in California and then not testify. You have to be a part of this process and this prosecution. So our, the, the accuser in this case was going to have to deal with it. You weren't going to be able to run, get a civil settlement, and then refuse to cooperate with the police. Whole different ball game. So, and I mean, we just really rode with him and it was like, it should have never gotten this far, Michael. This should have never been a place you found yourself. And at 45 and having been through this before and had to pay mil and millions of dollars coming out and forget the money. It's like Ed Bradley said, your reputation now has taken a hit. There's no money that can compensate for your reputation. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, he just, another bad space. But I thought what was really interesting was that in an, in it all, he did not blame Gavin Arvizo. He, he did not. He, he did, did not, not blame that boy. He said, kids will do what their parents told him to do. I know his heart. This is not coming from him. So even in that, when he had an opportunity to really blast this entire family, he chose to, to leave the kids out of it and keep them blameless in this. And I thought that was a really interesting part of the Ed Bradley interview. Yeah, y'all just remember that being a Michael Jackson fan is not a, <laughs> it's not easy. Um, and if you want to be a, a real fan, you have to be able to parse out the good and the bad and the ugly in 2003 gave us a mix of all three in abundance. Look, I want to end the podcast with Michael Jackson's own words from his statement back in February of 2003. He said, I also want to thank my fans around the world for the overwhelming number of messages of support that I have received. Their love and support has touched me greatly. And on that note, we will see you guys next time on the Black Jackson Estate Podcast. I'll Good night, y'all. In July. People don't even eat with their fathers anymore. Or their mothers. The, the, the family bond has been broken. It's an outcry for attention why kids are going to school with guns. They want love. They want to be touched. They want to be held. But they're busy off on their day job and, you know, and they leave them at home on the computer and they're just doing all kind of crazy stuff. And that's destroying our world. We need to bond again. That's very important, Martin.